restating the obvious. Sometimes restating the obvious is the best thing that you can do. And the obvious statement I want to restate is that God rules over everything. God reigns omnipotently over every detail and circumstance of our lives. Church, do you believe that this morning? When, when Brandon finished praying, a child said, Amen. Somewhere over here. That child's getting it. <laughs> you, could, you could come up with all kinds of reasons why that child might have said amen. They've been trained to say amen. But I, I think if we are people who really will look simply to the Word of God, to the Word of Christ, to the Word of the Gospel and try to understand the times that we're living in and try to apply the simple truth of God to our lives, there would be more amening in our hearts than there oftentimes is. Because more than any other time, I think, in history, we are able and desirous to look to places other than the Scripture for the answers to life's problems. And you see the effect it's having. Do you see it, church? I don't even... I go on social media very, 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 very rarely. Some of you live on social media. And, and it's having this detrimental effect on our ability to process Scripture. And that's where God wants us. Pastoring has never been more difficult than it is right now. I've been in pastoral ministry for 20-some years now. And it's more difficult now than it was when we shut down. Shut down is easy. Shut it down, go live stream. Now we're reopening. How long will it This is, these are crazy times. I did a funeral, I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. But I did a funeral on Friday, and I was the only one without a mask because I was speaking, and there were 60 people gathered in the, the funeral parlor all looking at me with masks on. And I had to, it, it felt like, where am I right now? Like, am I in some kind of horror movie? This is creepy. These are strange times. But I'll restate the obvious. God rules and reigns over all. God is not surprised. God, God knows the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. We may not. I was talking to someone, we, someone who said, we might not understand all that God was doing for 20 years. We might not. We might never understand. 
God does. You good with that? I want to be good with that. All right, we're starting a new series this morning, and I, I, I believe that the live stream is going. Um, these, are, these are, be patient with us, church. If you're here today and live streaming next week and, it's, and the YouTube's working but the Facebook Live isn't, just be patient with us. We're trying, we're on the arc towards better. We, we, got, we started getting the old, we, we got it down. We started doing the YouTube premiere thing. We finally got it down, and now we're switching. And there are people that you don't even see that are somewhere like right around here working really hard, harder than any of us are working right now. And they've been working all week, and they've been working all day yesterday. They're trying to make something happen. Please be patient with them and with us. We'll get it worked out, and we'll get better. Titus chapter 1. I am so excited about this because we're going to preach right through the book of a Bible. Oh, do I need this. I need this. I need, I need, there's a time for prophetic preaching, which I think COVID-19 delivered us to. Like, okay, what are the people needing? And so we're looking at Psalms and we're looking at things to speak to our current circumstances. We were still looking to scripture, but it's a type of prophetic preaching. This kind of preaching is what many would call expository preaching. All it means is you're expositing. What's exposit mean? It means expose. You're exposing God. That's what expository preaching is. You look at a text, and you try to explain the meaning of the text, and you try to apply it to your lives. So that's what we're going to do through the book of Titus, and that'll take us all the way through the summer, along with some guest preachers. All right, let me just take care of some. I got a technical difficulty that I'm having. So you just sit and talk amongst yourselves for a moment. You can talk while I fix something. I'm sorry, but I'm on the arc towards better. What do I want here? All right, I got it. Good. Thank you for your patience. So Titus 1. Let's read it. Let's, let's go to God's word first. At first, I wanted to start with a story. I'll, we'll read it, and then I'll go into my story. So Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, um, let's just stand for the reading of God's Word. And why don't we all, let's get, let's get some audience participation, some congregational participation. If you have Titus 1, 1 through 4 in your Bible with you, which you, I hope that you do, let's read verses 1 through 4 together. All right, we're ready. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began 
and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Grace and peace to all of you. And I pray that God's grace and peace would fall upon us now by the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I did a funeral I mentioned on Friday. I did it in the heart of Delaware County. Tinicum. Norwood is actually the city I was in. Anybody know that? You know that area? That's a, that's a different area than Chester County. I did the funeral for a, a childhood friend of my younger brother's father who had passed away. So I didn't know, I had met the man once. I didn't know him well. But I, I spoke at the funeral. I don't know he was a Christian. I don't know where he is right now. I, I do not know. So what do you do, pastor, when you speak at a funeral and you don't know what the person's relationship was with the Lord? You could, you could say, no to those requests. You could just say, I don't do that. I only do funerals for members of my church. You could say that. That'd be safe. I stood up and told them that I can't speak to the dead. I can only speak to the living. And to the living, I say that Jesus offers a real rock-solid hope for everybody who puts their trust in Him. I learned a little bit about the man. His name was Mick Sullivan. I learned a little bit about him by watching the video that the funeral parlor had produced. He was a tough dude. Grew up in a tough town, Tinicum. He served in the Vietnam War. He was, a, he was a U.S. Army combat vet. He dropped into Saigon. Rifleman. And almost all of his pictures, he's pictured like this. He took a picture of him and he aimed him an imaginary gun. He was, when he got out of the military, he got married. He, it appears that he was with the, the same woman his entire life. He, he stayed married to her. She was there at the funeral. He had some kids that he loved and that loved him. He was a long-distance trucker his whole life. He was a retired, long-haul trucker. And my guess is that he was loved because his grandson sat there and listened to my sermon and cried the entire time. That's all I know about him. And funerals 
make me uncomfortable as they do you. Don't they make you uncomfortable? We, we are so uncomfortable with funerals in America. Oh, we've done everything to sanitize death. We don't want to get close to it. Other cultures are different about death. But Americans have cleaned it up. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to acknowledge it. But funerals are, are important because they give us time to think about things that we would otherwise choose not to think about. Funerals, death is an enemy, but it's also an evangelist. It gets you thinking about what's most important. It gets you thinking about this. This is what I'm standing at the lectern that they provided for me, and I'm speaking at a man's funeral, a man that I didn't even know. I had only met him once, and I'm listening to, I'm watching a video and trying to piece together his 75 years of life, and in like one hour's time, the funeral is over. That's it. That's it. 75 years, 60 people show up, and go home, and that's it? What will people say about you? This is what I'm thinking. What will people say about me at my funeral? What are people going to say about you when you die? I want to ask a question. If you were able to introduce yourself to all of us, to walk up on stage and introduce yourself to us, what would you say about yourself? How would you introduce yourself? How deep into your introduction would you be before we heard anything about Jesus? This is a good thing to think about. Here's another one. If God appeared, and he is here, his Holy Spirit is here with us, but if he appeared in a way that we could see him, and he introduced each of us to the rest of us, what would he say about you? What would he say about you? At what point, because he could describe you really well. But at what point in his introduction would he say that, that he, this is a child of mine? This is, this is someone who is trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation and therefore will enjoy life with me eternally. You thinking? Are you thinking, church? Are you thinking about what I'm saying? I'm getting nervous. What we have here in the opening of Titus is an introduction. It's an introduction to a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to one of his disciples who was also doing apostolic ministry. His name was Titus. You're more familiar probably with Timothy because there's two books about, there's two letters to Timothy, only one short one to Titus. But this is an introduction to Paul's letter to Titus. 
And in it, Paul has significant things to say in this introduction about himself as the writer, about Titus as the recipient, and about God as the one who unites them both. So I've broken this sermon down into three sections. The first one is going to be the biggest section, and then they'll get smaller and smaller. The first section is introducing Paul. The second section is introducing Titus. And the third section will be introducing God. This is all about introductions. What will people say? What does the Word of God tell us about Paul? What does the Word of God tell us about Titus? What does the Word of God tell us about God? Incidentally, by introducing us to Paul, we'll learn a lot about his God. And by introducing us to Titus, we'll learn a lot about his God. And introducing God will function as a summary. You with me? I could wish... Let me just say it this way. I got up and started to speak at that funeral. And I didn't know her. I, I, I met her afterwards. Her name was Aunt Kathy. She was sitting on the side, and as soon as I got up and started talking, she started talking back at me. And I loved it. I loved it. I looked at her and I said, I like you already. Every time I said something, she would echo something back to me. And especially when I was speaking about the truth of Luke 5, that Jesus was a friend of sinners. She just kept talking to me. You guys... You don't talk to me very well. Have you ever been in a church where they talk at the preacher? Can we just move in that direction just a little bit? Some of you don't force it. Some of you are not ameners. Don't try it. Some of you are, though. You're allowed to move and say something. Remember last week, like David just can't, he's going to start dancing when he's praising Jesus. He can't stay still. Why are you so still? It's hot. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go long today, I can tell, because I'm taking too many. We learn something about ourselves as we listen to the grace of God at work in others. Did you catch what I'm saying? Write it down. You will learn something about yourself by hearing about God's grace at work in others. Hasn't that ever happened to you in a missional community? Hasn't that ever happened in worship? Have you ever come into worship kind of half-cooked and, well, maybe not half-cooked. That's not the way, the way to say it. Hopefully you're not coming to church drunk. But, but maybe you are, and I'm glad you're here. You got here. God wants to speak to you. But my point is this. Have you ever come into church and saw somebody worshiping really passionately? Doesn't that speak to you? Doesn't that make you say, huh, why, why don't I feel like that? 
What are they? I've had that. I'm a pastor and I've looked over at people worshiping in church, singing, Ferris Lord Jesus, and they seem to be moved deep in their soul. And I'm over there thinking about, where's my mic? I hope it works. What about the live stream? When you hear, that's why it's good to read biography. That's why it's good to read history. Even if it's not about Christians, when you read history, you read about real people and you can be inspired by their lives. That's what I want to happen here. When you listen to Paul's introduction of himself and when you listen to, to an introduction about Titus and you listen to an introduction about God, you're supposed to look, you're supposed to be laying your life over theirs. You're supposed to be looking for any overlap. You're supposed to be listening and saying, Holy Spirit, how would you want to make me more like that? That's how we listen. Introducing Paul. Look at how Paul introduces himself. Paul. Let's read it together. You see it? Everybody get there. I'll give you a second to get there. This is, this is just straight up Bible study right here. I ask a question. How does Paul introduce himself? Don't answer without looking. It's an open book test. Paul, a what? A servant of God. That's one. And that's a conjunction. It adds something else. So something follows. A servant of God and a what, church? Apostle of what? Apostle of who? Jesus Christ. There's his introduction. There's who he is. Who am I? Paul would stand up and say, Paul, introduce yourself. I'm Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. Wait a second, Paul, you're really smart too, right? Wait a second, Paul, you were educated at some of the best institutions. Wait a second, Paul, aren't you this, aren't you that? And he was many other things. What was most important to Paul about himself? That I am a servant of God. That I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. What about you, church? What's most important about you? Listen, don't hear me saying, I've, I've been a part of churches and I heard it said that, that you, you've got to be careful with this. God has called all of us to different things. Some people are, have PhDs. Some people are not college educated. Some people are good athletes. Some people are good artists. Some people are good musicians. Some people are good graphic designers. You've got all kinds of different gifts. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about who are you? Who are you? Not what you do. God can use us in so many ways. Isn't he using us in all different ways? But hopefully what you would say about yourself, what this is what you're asking, is, is Paul introduces himself as a servant of God and an apostle of G Jesus Christ. How would I introduce myself? I said, how deep into your introduction would you be before he mentioned Jesus? God, Paul ain't deep. Paul's out with it. A servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. A servant. It was a title used by a lot of Bible notables. You look in the Old Testament and a lot of those in the Old Testament were identified. You get their name and then a servant of God. Moses. A servant of God. 
Joshua, a servant of God. Isaiah, a servant of God. Ezekiel, a servant of God. Then we get to the New Testament. And Jesus identifies himself as a servant of God. Do you identify as a servant of God? Do you identify? Has God made you his servant? It's a title of humility. We don't like being servants, do we? If we're just honest. If someone says, listen, would you, we want to pull off a party, but we want you to play the role of servant. So you're not going to get any limelight. You're not going to, you know, you're just going to be behind the scenes. In fact, no one's going to even know you're there. I don't want that. I don't want everybody to know who I am. I don't want to, I don't like being called a servant. I want people to serve me. And you're exactly like me in that. We don't like being served. Paul, that's the first thing out of his mouth. Who are you? I'm a servant. Identify me as a servant of Jesus Christ, a servant of God. We need to be more comfortable, church, with the humble title of servant. You with me? What does he mean by servant? Someone who was bought by the blood of Christ. Someone whose life was purchased by the blood of Christ. Someone whose life is now directed by God. Someone who would get up in the morning and say, God, what do you want to do with my life today? Holy Spirit, would you lead me? I'm your servant. I don't do... My, my life is not my own. I remember uh, when I led the youth ministry, one of the teens started a band called Malinmo. My life is not my own. It was corny, but I liked the heart behind it. He was saying, hey, God's done something in my life, and my life isn't even my own. I, I work for Jesus now. I live for Jesus now. You see, what are you doing? Are you evaluating? That's what you should be doing. You're applying God's word as you listen to Paul's introduction of himself to yourselves. All right, we're taking too long. An apostle of Christ. An apostle of Christ. An apostle. This is capital A, apostle. This is a unique role. This is like the 12, the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ. And Paul was in that same category. A personal call of God to be an inspired messenger who spoke the word of the Lord. None of us are apostles in that sense. There's no more. But an apostle can also be someone, be understood as someone who breaks ground for the gospel. It's someone who, if you want to speak in very general terms, it's someone who lives their lives spreading the fame of Jesus. So there's a sense in which we all are to live with that desire, with that motivation, is to spread the fame of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Like, but that's what we're called to do. Am I, are you convicted? I'm convicted by that. Would I identify myself as a spreader of the fame of Jesus Christ? And I'm not talking about just what I can do on Sundays, preaching. I'm talking about with my life. 
That's what God wants us to do, is to spread the good news, to tell other people, to go to funerals and tell people about a rock-solid hope they can have if they put it in Jesus. That's what it means to be an apostle. And there's a great temptation to shut our mouths and not speak about Jesus, and that's a greater temptation now. Christians are more marginalized now than they have been in my lifetime. Man, you identify, you go out with it. I'm a Christian and people come, and, and I'm saying do that wisely. But, but you come out with that, and immediately people have a category where they put you. Now, you need to work hard to live in a way that looks like Jesus. because it makes it hard to argue with that. I take master's degree classes and I'm in a group of I'm in a group of people who would be anti-Christian. And so they've come to know me before I identified myself and they refer to Christians and then Christians like Kenny they got two categories of Christian. I hope that what they are seeing is my category lines up with what the Bible would call a Christian. It doesn't, it's not tied to your political beliefs. Ooh. I'm going to pull out. I'm going to go whoop, right back in. We're, we're, we're ser- Paul is a servant and he's an apostle. All right, moving along. For what purpose is he these things? Look back to verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. For what purpose, I'm saying? Here's the word, for. Here's the answer. What is it? For what purpose? Try again, class. For what? the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which promotes, which increases godliness. So what's his purpose? His purpose is to build something. What does he want to build in people? Their faith, their knowledge of God, godliness. Paul's role, well, he identifies himself as a servant and apostle to do something, to foster faith, to cultivate faith, to build. We want to reach people with the gospel, and we want to release people with the gospel, but in between those two things, church, we want to do something else. We can do better. We want to do better. But what is it that we exist for, church? Does anybody know our mission statement? That we want to reach, that's the first part. We want to release, that's the last part. There's something in the middle, church. What is it? Build them up. Build them up. That's in accordance with the Scriptures. That's what pastors are called to do. That's what we're called to do for one another, is build one another up in the grace of God. That's his purpose, to foster, to build, to grow. Another way of saying it is Paul wants to see growth take place. If, you, if we are a church that is not growing, then here's the reality. We're not a church. Like Paul has this expectation. It's kind of like, I've told you guys I go to the gym. 
what if the guy who's my friend who owns the gym and I, and I was talking with him and I said, listen, how are things going with the gym? Are people progressing? Are people growing? Are people getting stronger? Are people getting more fit? And what if he said to me, nope, people just show up. They just show up and nobody gets any better than they were. In fact, most people go backwards. How much do you charge a month again? Nobody goes. If you go to a friend who is supposedly a financial advisor who manages mutual funds and he says, here's my track record, I only ever get decreases. I have only, I've never gotten an increase. Well, I never grow people's accounts, investments. I never do that. All I do is detract. All I do is decrease. What about churches where people never, ever grow? Are you interested in growth in your life? I don't, I'm not saying just because you became a Christian. I'm talking about everybody in here who professes faith in Christ. Are you interested in growth? If you're not thinking about growth, if you're not interested in growth, then you really need to question whether the Holy Spirit has, has taken the gospel and changed your life. You feeling me, church? Nobody's saying anything. I'm saying that we should be interested in growing. We should be like the parent that, that walks their child over to the pantry door and keeps taking measurements. There's something wrong with a child that, whose measurements go down there's something wrong with a Christian whose measurements are going in the opposite direction that's not the Bible's expectation the Bible's expectation is that you would grow now what that doesn't mean is let's use the gym example again it doesn't mean that everybody is at the same place I didn't say that I'm saying your growth measure is your growth measure and yours is yours and yours is yours so you're measuring yourself against God's word and what he's speaking to you are you growing and I spoke at the funeral and there was a kid I hadn't seen for 30 years his name was Pooch Sagers now I'll give you an idea picture Pooch in your mind you got it Pooch was big when he was a teenager he was 300 pounds big, he told me, at the funeral. But this is what he told me with a smile on his face. I feel like I can't get close enough to you guys. With a smile on his face, he told me this. He came up to me with tears in his eyes after hearing the sermon. He thanked me for that. He said it was so good to hear me, to see me 30 years later up there speaking at the funeral. And then he said, I'm doing great. I said, that's, that's great. And he said, because two years ago, I was 500 pounds. Now, I'm 300 pounds. He's moving in the right direction. He's grown. He might not be as thin as you. He might not be at the same place as you. But Pooch is moving in the right direction. Are you spiritually moving in the right direction? What would people say about you? Would your community group, would your friends, would your spouse, 
would they say you have a passion and a desire to move in the direction of growth? So Paul's purpose, he's a servant, he's an apostle, and his purpose is to foster and cultivate growth in faith, in knowledge, and, and ultimately in godliness. And he's, then he begins to talk about what it means to be a Christian. He begins to identify what the characteristics of a Christian are. Do you know what the characteristics of a Christian are? They're right here in this text. This is great for us, guys, because Paul's going to identify the characteristics of a Christian, and you're going to be able to look at your own life and say, are those the characteristics of me? This is what he says are the characteristics of a Christian. Oh, I got into Timothy. I got confused there. For the sake of the faith, that's one characteristic, of God's elect, and their knowledge of what, church? Truth, which accords with godliness in hope of what? Eternal life. So these are the characteristics of a Christian. You ready? Faith, knowledge, and hope. Which is different than what Paul says in Corinthians when he says faith, hope, and love. I shouldn't have said that. That's confusing. He says today, though, faith, knowledge, and hope. And faith and knowledge go together. Because you can't have faith in God if you don't have any knowledge of God, which is why Paul says you can't have faith. It comes by what, church? It comes by hearing. It comes by hearing the Word of God. So when you hear the Word of God, you get knowledge of God, and that's what produces, by the work of the Spirit, faith in our lives. So you've got to have some knowledge of God. Whenever I hear Christians say, becoming a Christian is a blind leap of faith, I cringe. Do you say that? Don't say that. Do people look at that and say, that's stupid? And that is stupid. Blind leaps of faith are stupid. You should never jump from a cliff if you don't know how far you're going to fall. It's not a blind leap of faith. Faith is certain in something that you cannot see. I'm not saying, I'm not describing away faith, but it's not blind. It's knowledge of something. You don't become a Christian without any knowledge of God. God speaks to you, opens your eyes up, gives you a glimpse of who he is, and then you want to follow him. You want to be forgiven by him. You want to be in his family. You want to join up with him. So do you see, the, you see this? Paul says he's doing everything that he's doing so that people's faith might increase. You say faith increase? How does faith... Does, I thought you had faith. You have to have faith. You have to be believed. You have to be a part of the family of faith. But Paul actually says... In the Bible, well, actually, Jesus says to people, some people, he says, have little faith. Some people, he says, have great faith. So it's, it's possible to have varying degrees of faith. I'll ask you again, do you want your faith to be growing or do you want it to be decreasing? 
It's a rhetorical question. We want our faith to be growing. Paul wants his faith to grow. Jesus wants people's faith to grow. Paul said to the Thessalonians, you're growing more and more in your faith. Is your faith growing in Jesus? Maybe God's going to use COVID to grow your faith. Maybe God's going to use trial the way He always does in the Scriptures to actually accomplish something in us. To actually make us grow in our faith and in our knowledge. Why is Paul so interested in knowledge? Because knowledge leads to growth in godliness. If your knowledge of God increases, then what should follow is your desire to please God, to, to live for Him. So you're asking yourself this question, church. Is your faith in God growing? Well, is your knowledge of God growing? And is your knowledge of God leading to an increase in godliness in your life? Are you more holy now than you were last year, two years ago, five years ago? That's what growth is. Now, growth looks like this, guys, right? Nobody go shows up at the gym and just... You go in and out. But you go like this. It goes like this. Right? David Pallison said it's like a yo-yo going up the stairs. Sometimes the yo-yo goes down to the ground, but you're walking up the steps. So the yo-yo, even at its lowest point, is getting higher. You get it? That's the way it should be for us. Now... I'll say this because I love this. John Stott said this. Any doctrine that doesn't promote godliness. So he's talking about the church and the doctrine that is being taught. And he says, I'll repeat, any doctrine that doesn't promote godliness. Any doctrine or preaching that doesn't result in growth in Christlikeness. John Stott says, is manifestly bogus. I love that. It's manifestly bogus, he said, because right, the right preaching of truth of God's word should lead to growth in godliness. What makes people grow? You don't make people grow by yelling at them. You don't make people grow. You can't make anybody grow. Here's the reality of it. Like, like, Pastors can't make people grow. My mom used to read a great story to me when I was little called Frog and Toad Together. Are you guys familiar with Frog and Toad? Frog, you've got to read Frog and Toad. I don't care how old you are. You should read. You should be familiar with Frog and Toad. Arnold Lobel was the writer, but there's a great story in Frog and Toad, and it's called The Garden. And Toad shows up to Frog's garden, and Frog's got this amazing garden. And Toad says, I want a garden too. And he says, well, they take a lot of work. And Toad says, I'm game. So Frog gives him some seeds. And Toad goes home and plants the seeds, but he expects immediate growth. He put the seeds in, and he thinks they're going to look like Frog's garden. So what does he do? Starts yelling at them. Grow, seeds! Grow! Grow, seeds! Grow! Frog comes over and sees Toad yelling at the seeds and says, it doesn't work that way. You might be frightening them. 
So Toad decides to start playing soothing music. He thinks they're afraid of the dark, so he reads them bedtime stories. Eventually, his seeds begin to sprout, and he goes over to Frog's house, and he says, you're right, gardening is a lot of work. We won't, I will never make you grow by yelling at you. I, I will never make you grow. The church will never make you grow if all we're interested in doing is entertaining you. COVID is going to do, I'll tell you one of the things COVID is going to do. COVID is going to hurt the church. It's hurting churches. It's hurt us. It's, it's hurting other churches. But I'll tell you what, churches that are just giggly churches, churches that are just superficial, churches that are more entertainment designed are going to get crippled by COVID. Because people are starting to look for something real. If you attract people to a church through your, your means of, of saying the things that they want to hear, but not the Word of God, then what will inevitably happen is you'll have an anemic church. You'll have a church that doesn't grow because growth comes through knowledge of God, which comes through His Word, which increases our faith and promotes godliness. You with me? This is what we need, church. And then he says hope. And hope, everything rests on it. He says that... I'm going to move to the end here. In hope of eternal life, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. Jesus, God has promised us hope, and it's a promise he made before time. Paul tells us that God makes promises and he never lies. He never lies. So God is not a liar. You have a hard time conceiving of that because you lie. The Cretans, where Titus was sent, were notorious. Like if they were known for anything, they were known as bold-faced liars. They were a group of people known for that. That's not a good introduction. I'm a Cretan. People say, oh, you're a liar. So Paul is saying... God, you have this hope that God promised before time and God's character is such that he can't lie because that would be going against himself. And, and that promise has, has come about through the timely preaching of the gospel to you and to you and to you and to you and to you. And that's what your hope rests on. So faith and knowledge rest on hope. That is introducing Paul. Ooh, I took a long time with that. Now, let's introduce Titus to you. And then we'll close. I'll do it in just a couple minutes. You with me? Introducing Titus. Titus is an enigma. Enigma. He's an enigmatic character. Does anybody know what enigma means? He's a mysterious guy. Because we don't know much about him. Lord of the Rings. Tom Bombadil is an enigma. Uh, Robin Hood is an enigma. 
The White Witch in the Chronicles of Narnia is an enigmatic character. Who else are enigmas? Sherlock Holmes is an enigma. You with me? Snape from Harry Potter is an enigma. Mysterious. We don't know much about them, or perhaps we do know something about them, but we don't understand them. In this case, we just don't know that much about Titus. We know that he was Greek by birth. We, we, some people have actually proposed, I love how people do this, but they try to figure out who Titus is. Some have proposed because he was on a lot of Paul's missionary journeys, and he's never mentioned in the book of Acts, which describes Paul's missionary journeys, that he might have been a relative of Luke's. Some have proposed that Titus was Luke's brother. We have no idea. That's interesting, though. Speculation can be fun once in a while. He was one of Paul's disciples. Paul calls him my true child, my true son in the common faith. The first time we hear about Titus is in Galatians. We hear about Galatians over a, a controversy that was taking place. Remember when we preached through Galatians? There was a controversy taking place where some Judaizers who were returning to Judaism said that Christians needed to be circumcised, Gentiles needed to be circumcised, or they couldn't be saved. And so Titus gets swept up in this controversy. He's a Greek. And so they're saying, you've got to be circumcised. And Titus is saying, really? I don't want to be. And then T Timothy is in that circumstance as well. Paul turns to Timothy and says, you need to get circumcised. Timothy wasn't a Jew. Timothy was a Greek. Paul had Timothy circumcised to, to cooperate with the mission. But in Galatia, their issue was they were attaching their works to their salvation. And so he looked at Titus and said, Titus, you'll never be circumcised. Ever. Because works don't contribute to salvation. Can I get an amen? You, Titus doesn't need to be circumcised. So Titus was relieved over that. There's a difference between Timothy and Titus. One was circumcised, one wasn't. Titus, Timothy seems to be a timid man from what we see in the scriptures. Boldly proclaim the gospel, but Paul calls him timid and even says, don't, look people, don't let people look down on you. Titus doesn't seem to be this way. What little we know of Titus, when he walked into the room, he was knocking heads together, evidently. Because he got handed some of the hardest jobs in scripture. You know, one of the jobs he had to do is he had to go to Corinth. Corinth. Paul carried the letter that we don't have in our Bibles. I mean, Titus carried the letter that we don't have in our Bibles. So Paul hears about the Corinthian church that he helped to plant. They are going haywire. This church is lost. They are losing it. They are losing the gospel. Paul's so worried about them. They've rejected Paul. They've rejected Christ. They've rejected authority. They've just started going after the gifts, and they're so big and puffed up. And Paul's so worried about them. But he can't get there himself because he's on another missionary journey. So he says, Titus, you're the man for this job. You've got to go to that jacked-up church, and all those people are saying all these bad things about me, and, and they've rejected Christ, and it's a mess. I need you to, to take this letter, the severe letter, read it to them, and then get things in, put things back together, Titus. Woo! That's one assignment I don't want. Can he go to Corinth and fix it in the, in the name of Jesus? In the power of the gospel, if God calls you to it, you go do it. 
Paul was so uptight about the circumstances that he went on two more missions and he couldn't think straight. He said, I can't, my heart is not even in this because I'm so worried about what's happening to Titus and I'm so worried about the Corinthian church. And then Titus gets to him and he's got this incredible report. Yo, Paul, I've been so refreshed in the gospel. They have repented. They are following Jesus. That church is going hard after Jesus. And Paul is so relieved that he sits down and writes 2 Corinthians. Putting your Bible together for you. Titus is mentioned nine times in the letter of 2 Corinthians. Paul's confidence in him. Paul's affection for him. Titus was a player. And then Paul leaves Titus in Crete. Well, actually, as a second mission to Corinth, he's going to collect money for the Jewish churches from the Gentile churches, from the Greek churches. So he's sent to collect money. So Titus gets all the bad jobs. He's got to go to the churches that are all jacked, and he's got to go raise money. Titus is a finisher. Paul leaves him in Crete. This is the letter. And this whole letter will tell you some of the things that Paul wants him to do. He wants Titus to finish what remains unfinished. He wants Titus to complete the job that he began. Raise up elders. Teach the church. Talk about issues of justice. Build this church up. And eventually, Titus moves on to another assignment, and then he fades from the New Testament, and we know nothing more about it. Titus is a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ who does what's asked of him. He's not necessarily looking for the glory. He's like, like I want to be more of. Like Count Zinzendorf said, I want to make t-shirts that say this. Preach the gospel, period. Die, period. Be forgotten, period. That's Titus. Just faithfully serving Jesus. What did they say at his funeral? I don't know. Maybe nothing. What does God say about him? Well, that matters. Moses didn't even get a funeral. God buried Moses. The point is, what, how will you introduce yourself? What are you about? There's time to be about the right things. Finally, let me ask the band to return. I'm sorry I went long today. You'll forgive me because we're just getting back. I'll do better. Towards better. Introducing God. What is, how does he end this introduction? Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. He introduces God as the one that has united himself and Titus through the grace and peace that has come to them both. That's the most important thing about us, church, is that we have Jesus in common. That's the most important thing about the church, is that we are we've received grace. What's that? The unmerited favor of God. We could have never earned it. And peace, what's that? It's reconciliation with God, with whom we were enemies. But God, through the work of Jesus, made us friends, made us family, made us sons and daughters. Amen?
Paul introduces himself, he introduces Titus, and he introduces the God that they both serve. And by listening to their introductions, we're left contemplating our own introduction. I'll end where I began. What would you say about yourself? How deep into your introduction would you be before you talked about Jesus? What would Jesus say about you if he were to introduce you? What will be said at your funeral? These are really good questions to contemplate because we have time to do something about it, whatever that answer. If you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you haven't found him to be a rock-solid hope, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, would you be my hope? I turn away from everything that I put my trust and my confidence in. The reality of it is that it hasn't worked. And I trust in the forgiveness that you provided through your death on the cross. You rose again for me. I want to be your child. I want to be your servant. I want to spread your fame. That's it. It's real simple. And then you go on growing in knowledge and in the pursuit of godliness.